someone did a comparison of like what what Taylor Swift's private jet puts out in emissions versus like a hundred diesel trucks, and it like wasn't even close. But yeah. So um, what you're saying is you're a Taylor Swift fan, is what you're Swifty. I was hoping not to say it on camera, but yeah. What's up, guys? Brandon here. Uh, figure I'd bring you guys a little bit of marketing side, some some SEMA side of the industry to you. I have Jake on from FAST. Uh, tell us who you are and where you're from and what you do. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm Jake Hopkins. I'm the marketing director for Fast Diesel Fuel Systems and, uh, as of a week ago, Fast Motorsports. Uh, my background in the industry is I actually met my boy Brandon here in the lighting side. So when I worked at Diode Dynamics, he and I linked up on a couple SEMA projects, maybe mm-hmm. one or two, maybe more. Um, and I've been in the industry off and on since 2018. It feels a lot like a lot longer than that. But yeah, it's been about five years full time in the industry. Uh, one thing I, I guess that you can't see, or I should say here on a podcast, uh, you can't really see on video either. If, if you've never met Jake, um, I feel like a munchkin around Jake. I think he's like six foot 12 or something and <laughs> in the gym, what, four or five times a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's funny. My big, everyone you know says that about me because I'm six six. But uh, my big brother just turned pro as a bodybuilder, so I'm just chasing him. That's all I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I always feel small around him. So uh, uh, it's one of those those height differences. Little old man here feeling feeling like a, a munchkin around him. So, uh, <laughs> um, so how did you get how did you get into vehicles? Like what what got you your blood going about custom vehicles? Oh man. Oh yeah. All right. So we'll go way back. Um, so most little kids, I assume I don't have kids. Their first words are like the cliche, like mommy, daddy, whatever. I started trying to pick out vehicles. Um, you can ask my parents, I would try to identify like trucks and bulldozers and cars and all this stuff. So I, it sounds cheesy, but I think I was, I think I was born with it. And when I, I was growing up, uh, you know, played sports, little league stuff, never got into it. You know, if, if a, cool car drove by the, the baseball field i would you know i would miss catches because i was just watching the car i just i Ooh, didn't, I didn't care yeah exactly so it's it's been as far back as i can remember um and growing up i never thought that i would get to work in the automotive industry because to me that was like you know if you like football that was like going to the nfl you know who gets paid to work with cool cars and trucks um and so i i ended up going to school for uh, exercise science, did the personal training thing for a while, and then and somehow I backed my way into uh, helping out a couple of buddies with a startup doing their social media management, just because I had I had social media, so I knew how to use it, uh, and did that for a few years, and then one thing after another, uh, took some part time marketing jobs, and then lo and behold, uh, where you and I met, a job opened up to be the social media manager at Diode Dynamics, and it's been all hands on deck ever since and that was five years ago well if you step back you know even five ten years ago social media as a job was not was not a thing i mean yes. people's like oh you're I'm, I'm not gonna pay you to do social media and then it became i guess when it started coming on taking stuff away from tv and radio and magazines everything started going social media so i think you were probably right at that age that and that time frame that you stepped into the social media you know, marketing stuff that before there's even a such thing as an influencer. Yeah. Yeah. You make a really good point. I mean, and it's, it's funny 
the social media thing, and you know this as well as anyone, if you're talking, let's just talk specifically about the automotive aftermarket. I mean, you get out of it what you put into it. There's make no mistake, right? There's companies that don't that don't even have social media accounts that do tens of million dollars a year. Hundred percent true. However, if you know, if you're in my position of marketing, you follow the attention. You know, I I like to say I'm not loyal to any platform. If print dominates the next 10 years, I'm going to spend all my money on print. If social dominates, I'm going to spend all my money on social. So from my perspective, what our job as marketers is to do is to pay attention to where people's attention is. And that's really all we've tried to do is, you know, for now it's social media and five years, it it might be something else. Well, was you starting in the, the social media side, how have you seen the social media marketing for companies change over the last, you know, five years or whatever? Oh man, that's a, that's a good question. You might have to shut me up. Um, (laughs) So I I think the biggest thing that's happening now is it's twofold. The first part is companies more and more are realizing that when it comes to -to day-to-day, you know, TikToks, reels, you know, short form content, that three minutes or less stuff, companies are realizing that it's really what you say and how you're saying it over production value. And I know somebody that makes world-class, you know, images and video that might I don't want to step on your toes, but it's funny with the fast stuff with the, you know, the social media, TikToks, reels and and whatnot. A lot of it just comes down to delivering a message, however you do it, that resonates with your audience. And I see a lot of companies, you know, pushing hundred thousand dollar media budgets, which is great. And there's a place for it. But I think one of the biggest changes here recently is the companies that just know how to speak to their customers are going to win. And then if they can add the quality on top of that, then they're locked in. Then it's, you're good to go. Um, I think other- you you have that down pack. So if, if none of y'all have seen Jake's videos and stuff, he, he has the, he comes across like he's talking to you if you're standing in front of him at a show, but then there's like the, the videos behind him. I guess you do like the green screen aspect yeah. of it or whatever. Yeah. And there's, I learned more knowledge from some of his videos. For example, you posted something the other day about the, no mile, low mile page or whatever it oh, was. Yeah. The yeah. very next day, the guys that I deal with for the, all the Mecham stuff I shoot posted a car. It was like a Cobra R and it shared it on that page. I'm, I was like, I'd never heard of that page or seen it that's until awesome. you posted about it. I'm like, well, that that's kind of cool. So, you know, like you don't post just fast stuff. You don't post just, you know, your company stuff. You'll post stuff that's scene related, which is super mm-hmm. cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that goes in the weeds that you said it perfectly on the other thing that some companies are starting to figure out is customers have a really good BS detector. I think we're on average, people in America are hit with 243 advertisements per day on average, something around there. So if you're making content like to engage with your customers, to build an audience for whatever purpose, if yeah. you're trying to make real content, make it for them, make it for the viewer, because if all you're doing is trying to put a put lipstick on your advertisement, well, people know you're not fooling anyone like, oh, I thought this was a, a fun video, but turns out it's an ad. People know when it's an ad. So it's okay to make ads. There's, we have to sell stuff. I mean, yeah. we make ads all the time. But if it's content, if we're actually trying to be like fun or informative or entertaining, then we just do that. So, And, and you'll see through through some of your videos, like you have the the sales side of it, but then you'll have some like, you know, Hey, we're packaging this, this stuff up and you make it fun. Like it makes it entertaining. And I think that's where the, the social media marketing stuff for these businesses 
have to have to go. Like you have to make it fun for your your followers, or they're going to be like, "All right, let's on to the next one." I, I don't want to watch this. But when you have someone like you that has the voice, the look, the sound, the, the knowledge behind it, you tend to you tend to stay on that page longer, which in turn you'll you'll be back because the algorithm is going to say, "Well, you yeah. spent three minutes on this reel. We're going to show it to you again." Yeah. And, and I, seriously, that, coming from you, that means a lot. I, I, I appreciate it. It's it's funny when people bring up, you know, we, we've had we've been really, really blessed, really lucky to build the following we have on social. So we just we try to do it justice. Right. We try to make it worth their time to watch our stuff or engage with us or whatever. Uh, but it's funny, like on TikTok, we started about three and a half years ago um, and we didn't have grand plans for it. It wasn't like, OK, we're going to make this massive you know, page. And we're small fish by comparison to a lot of pages, but we crossed over 400,000 followers about a, about a month ago and we were like blown away. We're like, well, this was never the plan. Like we didn't have some scheme in the background. We just wanted to make cool stuff and share it. And it seems to resonate, which is super cool. So I guess we'll step back. So you said that like when me and you first met, when you was at uh, Dial Dynamics as social media and you left there and you, you went a couple different places before where you wound up landing. Yeah. Um, so Diode Dynamics, really, honestly, really taught me a lot of what I know, and just in terms of how to organize marketing, because marketing is like super creative and fun. But if you can support the creativity with data, then you're in a much better position. Um, so learned a lot from them, and then I actually, oddly enough, I went into the tech startup world. Um, they needed some marketing help at a local place in St. Louis. Was there for six months. Yeah, great job. And then uh, the pandemic hit. And it turns out uh, pandemics are not good for investor capital. So they <laughs> fired 30% of the company in one day over a Zoom call. It was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, um, great company, no hard feelings. And, um, you know, and I'm sure you, well, you know, like I said, as good as anyone, uh, if you have real skills and you're passionate, there's always a home for you in the automotive industry. There's always somebody who's going to snap, you know, snap you up. Well, I know me and you talked some when, when I left Pepsi after 22 years that, you know, when I was trying to get into the, the automotive side full time, which had been my side gig for, you know, 20 years. And it's like, I, I wanted right. to do it full time. And I know, you know, I bounced some stuff off you because you have a lot of that, that new fresh, I guess, view on that the whole social media thing. Um, so I, I looked at your view as like, all right, well, you're in it. You know what's needed? Like, will I be able to fit with this? So uh, I guess that's that whole, you know, the pandemic deal. I, I dealt with the pandemic deal at Pepsi. Of course, it was the end of the world. I, I think we were at that point selling the cure for COVID because we didn't take a day off. Like it was, you know, yep. all we did, but I, I knew I wanted more. So, so after you, you got left, you know, let go from that company, did you just happen to stumble upon fast? Yeah. Um, kind of wild. And, and, you know, I don't know where you fall in terms of, you know, religious beliefs, but to say it was a God thing is probably fair. Uh, I was um, interviewing with a couple companies in the industry. I had a, a few different people reach out, which was super cool. You know, who am I? Um, so I was, I was you already at, made a name for yourself though. And I, I appreciate that. I, at the time when I was jobless, I didn't feel like I had a name. I felt like I was just knocking on doors, <laughs> trying to, trying to collect the paycheck. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, the, the automotive industry, you know, took really good care of me. I had two or three different offers and, um, to, I'll condense the story. Basically I was up to, I had a few hours to make a decision. It was a Friday. Um, and I had a few hours to make a decision and the job that I was going to go with was 
hundreds of miles away from home. And my girlfriend and I, who's now my wife, we were just had just gotten together at the time. So um, a couple hours before I was supposed to take this job and sign the contract, uh, the marketing director, who was my boss here at Fast, reached out. I'd never met him. He just knew that I was local and that I worked in the industry before. And he said, hey, I need marketing help. Do you know anyone looking? And four years later, here I am. Uh, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason. Like if, if you would have moved, you know, like you said, hundreds of miles away for another job, like where would you be now? You wouldn't be married to, to that person. Like it's, it's, it was meant for you to stay there and, and get that. Like, cause I'm a firm believer in that, but 100%. I don't think I'd seen much from fast online before you took over. I'm sure they were there, but I, I yeah. think you took that and made it a statement in the, or a staple in the, in the, and the scene there. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Um, and and all, honestly, all credit to the executive team here. Sorry, uh, the executive team here. When I got hired, you know, and I know this isn't as easy at every company, and, and certain companies have much stricter guidelines. But I was told, go go do marketing. Go go whatever you think is best. Go do it. So I mean. <sighs> There's there's definitely things that I check with them on, especially with like product launches, you know, the engineering technical aspects. Other than that, my team, we just do what we see fit. And that allows us to move super fast, make a lot of really fun stuff and just crank out the content. So, yeah, it's been fun. But you're also an enthusiast. It's not like you just you got out of college for marketing and went in for, for marketing. Like, I think the enthusiasts, the enthusiast aspect of that plays a big role in doing what you do because it's probably never feels like work for you. Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's the same for you. There are days when you're like, man, this feels like a job. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, for the most part, I mean, it's, it's so fun. I mean, I have so many things that I, I do at work that I feel bad doing because I'm like, this doesn't feel like I should be getting paid. So tell us about fast and what that company and, or the company's, companies plural, I guess, that you work for, what yeah. is their role in the modified rods, the, the after, you know, automotive aftermarket company? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I will shamelessly product plug. Um, Why are you so here? Fast Fuel Systems was founded in 2003. Um, and what we are is a, people know us for the performance side of diesel, which is super great. We love that community. Um, we are by third-party data, the leading diesel fuel system and filtration solution for all diesel platforms. So your pickup trucks, race trucks, big rigs, agriculture equipment, farm equipment, construction. If it's fueled by a diesel engine, we pretty much have a filtration and fuel system upgrade for it. Um, And so what we do day-to-day is continually do engineering. We have an in-house team. We research, one, the effects of the filtration. So improving injection system life, optimizing fuel efficiency, uh, restoring horsepower, sharpening throttle response, all these things that literally just filtering fuel does. It sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, We do that. And then we also uh, develop new products in-house. We've got full-fledged manufacturing in-house, on-site. So that's, that's the fuel system side. And then the well, fast on, on that on that aspect, so, most people would think you know you get fuel at the gas station, it's it's already clean, it's already good to go. So, yeah, how does that affect the the normal day to day people? That I mean, are is it geared more towards the performance stuff, or is it just 
diesel's just so dirty, like you're prolonging your the engine? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so diesel fuel's pretty disgusting, actually. Uh, according to a research paper published by Caterpillar, of all people, uh, diesel fuel, when it's sitting still stationary, is about 10% air. Um, now you start to agitate it, heat it up, driving down the road, and that 10% becomes who knows. And one of the primary functions of our system is to eliminate that air. And you can physically see it on a bench when, when we run a system. You can see the air being returned to the tank. Um, and that air can destroy injectors, delay injection timing, makes it run hotter, produces more soot. That's just air. And then you get into water, which is really common in diesel fuel. And a bad, a bad batch of diesel can set you back six, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars uh-huh. for setting up a new injection system if it goes if it gets to the engine. So that's that's the primary purpose is just eliminating all the crap from diesel fuel. But you ask about the performance side. So our systems that we build for filtration, the primary purpose is filtration for sure. Uh, they can flow enough depending on which one you want. I mean, we can support. We've got a truck in Canada that dynoed at three thousand. Wow. And it stopped at 3000 because it was spinning on the dyno. Now, um, Canada don't have a weird, like their money, it's still the same horse as we have in the U.S. <laughs> it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. Canadian horsepower. American horsepower. <laughs> um, so you, you deal a lot with the, the performance side of, of the diesel industry then too. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're super fortunate to be very involved in the performance side, yeah. So do y'all have to work a lot with the, the EPA stuff? Is it just... Yeah. I mean, how, how does that, when the, when the government comes in, I guess, you know, as a company, you're trying to push the benefits, but the comp- the government's trying to shut the whole world down. Right. No kidding. Right, man. Um, yeah. I know the gas side of things is now, now they're feeling it um, now that the EPA is hopefully kind of done with the diesel industry. And I but, heard uh, they're supposed to be coming out with a, like the DPF deal for gas. It's like a, a gas particulate filter. I heard, so that's going to be on a lot of these, you know, yeah. regular gas stuff. Yeah, it's it's I think in the next two two to five years, all gas vehicles will have all the same stuff that new diesels do. It's yeah. It's have you seen any kind of change in or decline with the them pushing all this EV stuff or have you seen a, a growth in it? So I guess it depends on who you believe. Um, we were discussing this the other day. It seems like the OEMs are starting to scale back, at least right now, mm-hmm. on production, just because people aren't buying them. Um, that said, if the government stays heavy-handed and they, they mandate it, then no matter what's selling, I guess the OEs are going to have to make them. Um, My view with that, until you can go to a gas station, plug in, walk in, get a drink, a bag of chips, you know, and come back out, unplug it, and go, I, personally, yeah. I don't see... I'm not going to go sit for an hour at, at some random mall parking lot. So that's just yeah. not what I'm interested in. I saw somewhere and I'm probably misquoting it. I saw somewhere that a team uh, drove to the North pole in an EV and it took them like 10 months because they had to spend a total of like three months charging or something. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, it's cool. It's cool technology, but like, no, no, no yeah. thanks. I mean, they're super fast. When I was messing with the, oh, yeah. you know, the Audi stuff, you know, they all compared it to like Tesla speed and that kind of stuff, the way it was crazy fast. But yeah, yeah I, I still, I'm not trying to plug it in everywhere I go. And, you know, I'm not trying to drive to semen. That 32 hour trip takes, you know, six days. Like that's not a, um, now I know the, you know, a lot of these manufacturers, OEM manufacturers are doing like my truck and my wife's Tahoe are both the three liter diesel. 
You know, yeah. they're they're doing some of these smaller, I guess, more efficient diesels. How is that size of the diesel market affecting you guys? Like, do you see more of the the smaller trucks hitting the markets versus the the big boys? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so for us, I'll say this for us, the smaller diesels have not become a big player yet. Um, we're developing solutions for them because the OEs, no matter what, you know, platform yeah. you're a fan of Cummins, PowerStroke, Duramax, there's a lot of room left on the table to improve the fuel system, to improve the filtration. We came out with an eco diesel system a few years ago. Um, it hasn't been a big mover for us. It's been an important system for sure. But for us, just the focus of keeping up with the three quarter ton and one ton trucks, which we're always developing additional products for. Honestly, that's kept our engineering team so busy. We haven't launched as many of the lighter duty solutions as we'd like to, uh, but I'm sure they're coming. The one one area that I will note, and, and some shop owners might feel differently, it doesn't seem like on the smaller stuff, the three liters, you know, the Power Strokes, Duramax, stuff like yeah. that, uh, the 2.8 that was in the Colorado Canyon. Uh, it doesn't seem like the modifications to the engine, to the drivetrain are as common. Now, just as many guys, it seems like are lifting, lowering wheels, tires, lights, all that stuff. But it doesn't, our, our perception of it has been that the mechanical side hasn't been quite as intense, but that might change. I, I agree with that because with my three liter Duramax, uh, I, there's no tune. There's no, like you can do the intake, the intercooler, you know, exhaust, you can do all that. And it's not really going to change anything until someone releases that tune that lets that breathe a little better, which of course, I guess back to the EPA thing, they try to keep all that shut down. So yeah. uh, what would you say your is your most selling vehicle application that you have? Oh man. Um, outside of the commercial space, like the big rig trucks, um, in in our, in our custom vehicle world, what is your, in our, in our world? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, Duramax, um, we're really strong uh, among all the platforms. You know, I'm confident to say we're the industry leader across all the platforms, but Duramax is big, big, especially it helps that for many, many years, the Duramax didn't have a factory lift pump and our system supplies a lift pump. So now you have positive pressure being fed to the engine. Um, So simply just putting one of our systems on, you know, an earlier Duramax truck, I think they L5P, so 2017 is when they got a factory in-tank pump. Um, It solved so many issues on the Duramax simply by just giving it something that didn't come from the factory. Never mind the additional fuel flow, the filtration, just simply having a lift pump on there is a huge benefit. Yeah. So you said there's other other aspects of the company that other than the fuel side. So what else are you dealing with on the marketing side? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so we recently launched a company called Fast Motorsports. Um, and what that will be is uh, a portal for, we have a lot of, Fast has a lot of dealers. So we have a lot of shops, brick and mortar, e-commerce around the country. Um, and now with Fast Motorsports, we're going to be a resource for all these shops and you know repair facilities, diesel shops, for everything else, for wheels, tires, lift kits, lights, bumpers, all these things, these third-party brands that yeah. we, all, we all use. I mean, you probably know 90% of the brands we, we use, but um, now we'll be able to offer them to all of our shops. And there's going to be a retail side to it too, but the focus is going to be um, 
really opening our catalog to all of our dealers. And for those listening, uh, when, when we say fast, we're not saying fast with a T. <laughs> it's F-A-S-S. So so someone that's yeah. not familiar with, with Jake and the company stuff, it's F-A-S-S, not fast. Don't let my Southern accent throw you off and think I'm saying he's fast. I was going to say, I've got um, here, just in case the camera needs it. There you go. Yeah. There so what is. does FAST stand for? Uh, yeah, FAST stands for Fuel Air Separation System. So it just goes back to the original intent, just cleaning that cleaning that diesel fuel. And it, it's funny, you know, people are kind of skeptical when they hear what clean fuel can do as far as all these benefits. Um, and then you take a guy who's been driving the same truck for five years and you put a you put some proper filtration on it. And nine times out of 10, he gets out of the truck after driving and he goes, oh, now I get it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. So on top of the, the, you know, the marketing side of the stuff you did, did for diode. Now you do for fast. Uh, you were pretty heavily involved with some SEMA stuff, correct? Yeah. Yeah. For a long time. So what, what did you do with, with SEMA and how did you get into that? Yeah. Um, so I blame, uh, Nick over at Morimoto or uh, driven lighting group now. Who used for, to also be at dial dynamics. Yeah. 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 He got me, he got me going really. Um, so with SEMA, a lot of people know, obviously SEMA show big, big event in Vegas every year. But SEMA, a, lot, a lot of the enthusiasts see it as as a big car show, but for, for us in the industry, it's not, it's a, it's a trade show. It's, there just happens to be a bunch of cool vehicles there. So there's, right. it's not like you can just drive across country, go sit at the, at SEMA and show. So it's right. for the industry. So what did you do with the SEMA side of things in the industry? Yeah. So for SEMA, I, ironically, I was on one of their volunteer networks. So I basically just said, Hey, if SEMA needs help with anything, you know, in my free time, I'll do it. And they tasked me with, uh, doing some of their social media management, uh, kind of advising them on the social media side. Oh, wow. And it was really only a few hours a week, but it was really neat in that by volunteering to help SEMA, which is a you know big organization, I, I connected with hundreds of like-minded professionals and people that were doing the same thing. So on the, on the outside, it was, I was helping SEMA. In reality, I was also, you know, growing and learning and meeting all these new people. So it was, it was really cool. For for SEMA to step in and say they want you to do that for them, that should solidify where your place is in in the that market because SEMA is not just going to randomly pick some Joe Blow to to help with their marketing stuff. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was uh, very surreal as a kid who watched TV shows about SEMA as a kid thinking, man, I'll never get to go there, but that looks cool to all of a sudden be talking to their executive board, man. It, it was, it was very surreal. You were on a, a council or two or what was your. Yeah. Um, so SEMA. So if, if someone is working in the automotive industry and they want to volunteer to work with SEMA or for SEMA, um, you basically pick out one or more of, I think there's five or six councils and each council of volunteers has a dedicated purpose. So one is like the wheel and tire council. The other might be um, the off-road accessory council, so on. I was on the um, the young professionals council or future leaders network is what we were called. The FLN, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So our purpose was, in, our entire purpose was networking, professional development, you know, creating relationships within the industry to make it better. Uh, how uh, are you still doing that or how long did you 
mess with that? So I had to, it makes me sad. I had to step away from my active role. I'm still on the committee, um, but I'm no longer one of the primary members with everything going on in this building. I just wasn't giving it the time of day. And I started to miss Zoom calls that I was supposed to be leading. And I was like, okay, at least for for a little while, I'm going to step back, let someone else take the reins, but I hope to be back one day. So for, for someone in your position, how would you guide the younger generation or even us old folks like me that, uh, that are trying to get into the automotive industry that, like you said, we, we grew up, we, we, you know, watch it on TV. We, we saw how everything worked, got hooked on vehicles. How do you get into working for a company or for SEMA? Like, what would you give pointers to someone trying? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, start looking, start looking within your geographic comfort zone, I should say. Um, you might be surprised at how many automotive aftermarket companies are within commuting distance, which is what happened to me. I wasn't, I wasn't aiming to work in the automotive aftermarket. I just got lucky and found, you know, diode was 20 miles from me. So once you've determined where you might be comfortable working, start looking up the companies in that area. I mean, SEMA even has a job board where a lot, not all, but a lot of companies will post their openings. And if you, I said it before, I'll say it again. If someone has actual hard skills like photography, videography, or, you know, computer coding, or even customer service, this industry is so hungry for people that can combine hard skills with passion. Cause we, you can hire hard skills anytime. Just find a college graduate, find an intern, find whoever yeah. you can find the resume you need. What you can't, what companies in our industry cannot find enough of is people who really care about this industry. And that's one thing that, that I guess my life has revolved around. It's always modified vehicles. It's always, you know, whether it's bikes, cars, trucks, whatever, like that's, that's what's driven me. So I've always been passionate about it. And I, but I know there's people in the industry that are, and you can tell those are the ones that lean against vehicles at SEMA or pile in somebody's seat. Like you can tell they're there just for a job, but you can tell an enthusiast when you see an enthusiast. hundred percent. And, and I mean, go ahead. we can spot an imposter from 20 miles away. Oh yeah. And I've, I've been one of those ones has had a guy leaning on my, my truck that went viral that, you know, it's like, oh, we're just leaning here in the lobby at SEMA on someone's truck with his Wranglers, with his, you know, little rivets in his in his pockets. But uh, I think that uh, there is so many people in the industry that are just there for the job. But I feel if someone is a true enthusiast, though, that it, it does stand out. Like you watch your videos, you can tell your passion about what you're talking about. You're not just yeah. plugging a number and, and, and hoping for clicks. Like you actually, same thing on my end. I'm passionate about it. I, I make it a point to, to push that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. I, I don't think I could have said it better case in point. Um, I actually had interviews last week for a position here at fast. One of the guys we interviewed on a technical level wasn't quite what we needed, but he was so passionate. He was so into what we did. And he clearly, you know, based on how we could tell he spent his money, he was one of us. And <laughs> I followed up with him and I said, Hey man, I said, I can't hire you for this, but I'm going to try to find a spot for you because I know how hard it is to find somebody who give them a broom, give them a computer, give them whatever, just let them work around cool stuff. And so we are always looking for that type of mentality. I seen somebody post something earlier. Say with Valentine's day coming up, you know, this is where you can make your choices, whether you're going to have, you know, changing diapers in nine months, you're going to be building cars. And it's like, 
you would probably be cheaper doing the kid role than, than messing with these vehicles because none of this stuff is cheap. And it's no matter what you're, you're a diesel lifted, you know, bag stuff import, like it's none of it's cheap. Like we work to afford vehicles and we just kind of eat when we can, I guess. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, you, you bring up a really good point about the passion thing and, you know, getting into this industry as far as a career goes. And I think, like you said about spotting someone who works in the industry, but doesn't love the industry. You can tell because some, some companies, their marketing is they're trying to justify it. They're trying to make it a logical purchase decision to get a set of wheels or a bumper. And it's like, what? I understand that approach. And there is, there is room for data. There is room for logic. Right. But at the end of the day, this isn't a logical industry. This is because we love it. I mean, automotive repair. Yeah. Probably, you know, justifiable, but, the aftermarket, the accessories, this is because it's fun. We're, we're passionate about it. Yeah. So where where do you, since you're heavily in the diesel world, where do you see the diesel world, the diesel aftermarket industry going from this point forward? Like, where do you see it in five, yeah. 10 years? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question and a scary one. Um, so as of 2024, uh, the EPA pulled emissions to feed devices off their list of NECIs or their, their compliance initiatives. Um, so we were hoping, even though, you know, all of our products here at FAST are all carbio compliant, we make nothing that, honestly, everything we make improves emissions output, but, you know, we want to see the industry do well. So to answer your question, it doesn't look like the government's letting off, even though the EPA says they are, it seems like they've just passed enforcement off to the Department of Justice. So now instead of a fine, you get a sentence, which is great. <laughs> But you can have cargo ships and and jets that burn way more fuel than than any diesel on the road. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Someone did a comparison of like what what Taylor Swift's private jet puts out in emissions versus like 100 diesel trucks. And it like wasn't even close. But yeah. Um, So what you're saying is you're a Taylor Swift fan is what you're Swifty. I was hoping not to say it on camera, but yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I can delete this out if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could quote one of her songs if I tried. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I mean, on the one hand, the emissions off stuff that the EPA has been pursuing, it's not stopping. Turns out making things illegal doesn't make them go away. Who knew? Um, <laughs> as far as the future publicly, I think emissions on performance is going to only, it's going to grow. Um so many more and more people are not in a place or they can't find a shop or they don't have a mechanic who will remove emissions equipment. Um, so the options for emissions compliant tuning and engine upgrades and drop in turbos and all this stuff, it's growing by the day. People are really getting into it, which is super cool. And then on the, on the other side, you know, there's that gray area of converting trucks into full fledged race vehicles. And I, I don't mean, a street truck that you identify as a race truck. You I mean, want like to tow to the track and the or, the, or the dyno and right. Yeah. Stuff that doesn't even have a, a VIN tag on it. Uh, that seems to be doing really, really well. If anything, the diesel industry um, seems bigger now than it has ever been. Surprisingly. I know um, any of the diesel events I've gone to where they've got the mobile dyno set up, there's 3000 people surrounding the dyno and I'm like back ducking behind the big dude like all right when this thing blows up I, yeah. i'm not gonna be up front with you but the the yeah. crowd stays there all day long it's wild it yeah i mean these guys are making um i think justin ziegler just set the record he made just over 3300 horsepower um to the tire on a six seven comments it was a i mean 
obviously crazy modified to the moon, but but yeah, you didn't get in that and drive it. That's what people's like. Oh, I want yeah. all this horsepower. You couldn't get in that and drive it to the store if you tried. A hundred percent. And what's crazy is, you know, you look back 10, 15 years ago and making 600 to the tire on a daily driven truck was like mind blowing. There's, there's probably, I could tell you 10 guys off the top of my head that can break a thousand and drive their truck every day if they want to. Now, like there, there definitely comes a point when, you're just you're not you're never going to drive that truck every yeah. day. You know, you're going to ruin it in terms of functional day to day use. But yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of guys out there making two twenty five hundred horsepower. It's, it's wild. And that's a, that goes the same thing whether you're into the you know modifying the suspension or something. You're not going to you know blow a, a vehicle apart and powder coat and paint and chrome everything and drive it every day. I mean, people do it, but yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Right. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, you, so you've, I guess you went to shows and stuff before you started working on or for the comp, these companies, like mm-hmm. you were, you, you spent weekends at car shows. I did a lot of the local stuff. Yeah. 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 I was, uh, in my early 20s, tw- all the way through like my early twenties, I was just a very, very much a broke like millennial. Um, so I did all the local cars and coffees and, uh, a couple shows around St. Louis. And then once I got in the industry and I had somebody paying me to go, I, I did every show I could possibly go to. What would you say is the best and worst aspects of the custom vehicle world? Um, like from aspect. from seeing how the shows work, like as as yeah. the as an enthusiast, what would you say? Not not so much as as Jake, the the marketing guy, but as a enthusiast, what would you say would be one of the best and one of the worst aspects or trends that's going on? Yeah, so, yeah, that's an easy answer. Um, best aspect is is the community. I mean, for sure, I don't care what you know, slam trucks, lifted trucks, imports, muscle cars, the community around this, it, we all just, we're all just here because we love it. And you, so you break down the side of the road in a custom vehicle, someone in that world is going to stop and help you. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the people I've met in this, in this industry are some of the closest friends I have. That's the good side. The, the, the bad I would say, especially as it relates to shows is the lack of understanding when it comes to a show in a, whatever city, name a city, the fact that we are all there as representatives of this industry and the people who live there and the cops and the people that work in that town, they don't know the difference. And so when a lot of these shows get shut down because you leave and you go take over a parking lot with 500 of your buddies and do burnouts till three in the morning, it makes really cool social media content. And then that show's never allowed to come back yep. ever again. And that, I get it. I've been a part of it. I've done the the 3 a.m. parking lot thing before. I'm not judging, but it literally ruins shows. It will eliminate that show from being possible ever again. So because the town don't want to deal with the, the liability of it. Yeah, yeah. All it takes is for the police chief to say nope, never again, and then that show's done forever. I've gone to shows for you know 30 years this year, and I've seen several shows that that's why they shut down. You know, many nights when it was in, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, like that was massive, but you know, they were doing burnouts and drinking beer to church parking lot. And the, you know, the mayor or whatever it was showed up that next morning to go to church and the parking lot was trash. And they said, yep, we're not doing this again. So yeah, it, it happened. So, so how do the listeners find you uh, company wise, personal wise, how do they find you online? If they want to watch some of these cool videos and stuff that you produce? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. If for any reason you want to see more of my face on the internet, um, you can find us at Bath Fuel Systems on all the platforms. Uh, my personal stuff is big 
fast, F-A-S-T, big, fast Jake. That's where I talk a lot about diesels, but a lot about everything else, cars, bikes, all of it. I'm, I'm kind of a scatterbrained when it comes to being addicted to vehicles. I think we all are because it's, you know, oh, I'll, let me look at this and something else will pull in or you'll you'll see something else beside it. that You're like, oh, that's not my style, but let me check it out. Oh, that's cool. They've got this amount of yeah. work into it. Squirrel, you know. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, it's funny. And it's so funny we're talking because my first car magazine ever was, I think it was the April 2011 issue of Truckin' Magazine. And I, I flipped through it until it literally disintegrated in my hands. But that's that's what got me into, helped get me into lower trucks. And, and how old were you then? I would have been, no, it was the, it was 2001, not 2011. My gosh. So I was 11 years old. So 2001 was when I first started shooting for print magazines. Actually trucking was my first, first cover I ever had was trucking. You know, at the time that was February, I lose track there. February 05, got it hanging in my office here. February 05 was the first cover I had that. I thought that was the end of the world. Like this is, this is it. I've, I've, I've can't go any higher. It's like now yeah. number 46 is getting ready to get printed. And I've got a couple more already like in queue, ready to go to print. It's like, I never knew when I started doing this, I would be doing it this long. It, I thought it'd be a, a fad and run out, but it's, it makes me try harder every day to, to up what I did the day before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've dabbled in photography and every time I think I see a good picture of mine, I come across one of yours and I'm like, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there's, I'm nowhere near in the top thousand probably in the in, in the country in this scene like i can name people that that i look up to and those are the guys yeah. that i try to have freelance for me at this point to like i need your work you're you're that good and, i mean it, yeah. it's which makes me try harder because i see their stuff i'm like well how did they do that and i try to break it down as a photographer i'm like all right well there's a light here and i can tell the yeah. sun's there but you know that that yeah. makes it the fun part of it for me is figuring out how they shoot but I can also look at a lot of automotive photographers' photos. It's in the truck world. Tell yeah. you who shot it before I even see the name to it. Like everyone has their own style. Yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could see that. I think, I think for me, not to get in the weeds because I'm not, I'm not going to debate photography with you because I, <laughs> I have no business. But for me, it's been a lesson of, uh, of learning when to stop editing because, like, I'm, if I knew five percent of what you know about photography, I'm doing great. But in the past couple of years, like I used to over edit everything, like everything got texture turned up to the max and clarity turned up to the max and sharpness turned up to the max. And I was like, this looks terrible. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> the the guys that taught me back years ago that kind of took me under their wing, you know, there wasn't as much, I mean, yeah, there was editing stuff back in, you know, Oh one Oh two, but not like there is now. I mean, you can almost have AI edit a photo for you and it's like crazy, but yeah. I learned to shoot like I was like, that's, picture straight out of the camera was going to print. I mean, the oh, many wow. editors didn't want us to even edit anything until, I don't know, last 10 years or so. Wow. I had I no mean, idea. They wanted raw photos because they had an art department. The art guy would, would edit it and, you know, he'd put his spin on it. They didn't want a bunch of, you know, half edited photos. Now, if I have someone submit something that's not edited, I'm like, mm, can you edit that? Like, that's super easy now. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a, it's changed a lot. You know, back in the day, we would have to burn pictures on a CD and mail a CD into a to an editor to get it to run it. Now it's here's the link to the Google Drive. Drop the photos in here. It's ready to go. So I, I'd like to see. I like to have back the money I spent on mailing features to 
to magazines <laughs> over the years because it's a manila envelope with contact sheets and one or two CDs in it. Like it, you know, what just a stamp. It was a couple bucks here and there. So yeah. Yeah. Super, super manual process. Well, I appreciate you, you coming on. Like I said, I, I, you know, trying to get a little bit of the, of every aspect of our community and you've definitely yeah. had your hand in some, some big stuff in the community. So yeah. I appreciate well, thanks you. Thanks for having me, man. Super flattered to be in the lineup. So I hope I said something that was helpful to somebody. I think the Taylor Swift thing was the thing people will take away from this. So you should feel yeah, that, that's really more to do with my identity than anything else. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks Jake. All right, Brandon. Thank you.